All right, so we are back in our Hebrews series called Draw Near. Uh, there's six different times in the book of Hebrews where we are commanded to draw near to Christ, that we are called to draw near to God, right? And that the goal of our lives, and we just went through this brief break, the, the Earnest and Eager series, and it was really about seeking the Lord. It was really about drawing near to Him, that our heart would be undivided, that our heart would be wholly given over to him, that we would seek his presence continually, seek his face continually in our lives, that we would seek not just this knowledge of him, but this experience of a living God who is active in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. And as we jump back into our Hebrews text this week, it is about drawing near to God. Everything of theology, everything of Scripture, and we hold Scripture to a high regard here in this church. But what it does is it leads us to a doxology. Theology leads to doxology. And doxology is just a fancy word, a fancy theology word for worship. That these lives become completely abandoned to Christ. That whatever ambition, whatever, whatever gain I had, whatever, whatever goals I had in life, I lay them before my Jesus because he purchased me with his blood. The totality of me with his blood, and now it's all given back to him as an offering. So I was one like Paul, right, on the road to Damascus. I was heading this way with an ambition and a goal and an aim, but I met Jesus face to face, the living God. And he asked me, he called me, he commanded me to draw near to him. And then he takes my life and he flips it upside down. It was once lived for me. It was once lived with my ambition and my goals and my aim and my career and all of this stuff. And now all of a sudden, all of that is redeemed. It is all claimed by Christ. And so that job that you hold now has a different purpose. It is now an outpost of ministry. It is now a piece of the gospel going forth into a dark and lost world. I hope that's how you see it. I hope that's how you see your lives. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today as we look at Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there with me. Hebrews chapter 4. This is really just a continuation of Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll recap here in just a few minutes. But before we get too far into it, I want to read our text, and then, uh, and then we'll jump into it. So uh, let's read together. Therefore, <clears throat> again, it's connected to our previous passage, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, for good news came to us just as to them, but the message that uh, they heard did not benefit them, get this, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's quoted from Psalm chapter 95. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. I love how the author says that. It's said somewhere. You ever try to quote scripture with somebody? Like you're trying to reference it, but you don't remember where it was, and you're just like, ah, it says it somewhere. So, for he says somewhere spoken of the seventh day this way. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day today, 
saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail, excuse me, so no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. This is the word of the Lord. Before we do anything else, let's pray this morning. And um, as I often do, I'm going to pause and I'm going to let you pray. Um, I want you to pray for humility. I want you to pray for softness. I want you to pray for conviction and for transformation this morning. I want you to pray for humility and boldness. There's a sweet spot in my life that I'm trying to, that I'm trying to hit, and it's humility and boldness, wholehearted pursuit and obedience of God. And so this morning, I'm going to pause. You pray. Have an expectation for what you want God to speak to you, what you want him to do in you today, and then I'll pray. So go ahead and you pray. Father, hear these prayers. God, I pray that they would be big, big enough for you. I pray that your conviction, God, and your Holy Spirit would be so active in our hearts and our lives today. God, as we listen to this word, um, that we wouldn't just hear it. God, that it would transform us and that we would be doers. God, completely obedient. So God, I thank you uh, for your Holy Spirit alive in your people. I thank you, God, for this church and for the awesome privilege it is to gather in the name of Jesus to worship you and to lift you high and to hear from your word and be changed by your spirit. God, I, I pray for nothing short of miracles today. I need a miracle. I need, I need transformation. I need flesh to be, to be worked out. I need your spirit, God, to take root further and further so that this life would more image the one that I've been created in the image of, that I would show forth the glory of Christ, that we would show forth forth the glory of Christ. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, this morning's text, like I said, is just a continuation of what we talked about five weeks ago when Paul Hipke preached on Hebrews chapter 3 preaching on the rest that comes from God and how Israel failed to enter the promised land. Remember that story in Exodus, right? Remember that story of of the, the people of God coming out of Egypt, right? Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and there was this promised land of rest that they were supposed to obtain. And they failed to enter that rest, and they failed to enter because of one thing, the one thing that is required of them. The one thing that is required of all of us, frankly, and that is belief. That is faith, right? Without faith, you have been saved by grace, Ephesians chapter 2, through what? Faith. Saved by grace through faith alone, by a true believing, a believing in the person and of the work of Jesus, a true wholehearted, life-abandoned, believing in the gospel of Christ. 
They didn't enter the rest of God into the They didn't enter into his promise because of unbelief. The author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 and, and go back to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. Remember Hebrews, uh, remember how this book started. In chapter 1, where it says, Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke through the prophets. Right? Today, if you hear his voice, that God speaks to his people, and he spoke through the prophets, and we have the recorded scriptures for us on this side of things, where we have these scriptures in our hands, and we can see how God spoke to his people over and over and over again, these wonderful and beautiful promises that are for the people of God who put their faith and belief in him. Hebrews chapter 1 says, but now he has spoken in a son. Right? He spoke through prophets. He spoke through others. But now he has spoken in a son. And we have the gospel of Jesus. It says today, right? The nowness of the gospel. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, the, now, the nowness of the gospel and specifically of gospel obedience. To not put it off any longer to obey. To not put it off any longer to wholeheartedly believe. And every time we do that, what happens is, is we harden our heart to the things of God. Do you get that? There's a warning in, in Hebrews. There's multiple warnings in Hebrews. It's, it's crazy because you have all of this wonderful encouragement, but in that encouragement is some warnings. Like, hey, don't fall for this. Don't, come, don't become prey to the enemy of our souls. Don't harden your hearts this way. And how do we harden our hearts? For me, when, as I understand the scripture, it's by hearing but not obeying. It's by God in his grace, God in his mercy, speaking life to his people, speaking commands to his people that are going to lead and guide his people into the rest of God. Rest in this life, but rest that is eternal. And as he speaks, do we receive it? Do we wholeheartedly, by faith, receive his words and obey them and do them? Or do we push them off? Do we stiff-arm the commands of God and thus create a callous in our hearts? Where the gospel just doesn't punch us like it used to any longer. It doesn't have the same impact like it used to any longer because there's little areas in our life where we are not wholeheartedly obeying it. The beautiful thing about our text in Hebrews chapter 3 is it gives us uh, a remedy. It gives us a way to combat unbelief in our hearts. In verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 3, it says, But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Again, the nowness of the gospel. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you, get it, get it, get it, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Always, today, now, continually. And you see here the power of the community of faith. You see here the power of the body of Christ, the power that is this gathering on a Sunday. You understand, like, American church just drives me nuts because it's all about events that we attend. It's not about a body that we commune with. Right? You got it up this morning. You told your kids, hey, let's go to church. Part of it, 
very, very, very small. Like we, we are attending a worship gathering, but we are the church of God, and there is power in being in community with one another because it says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Last week, we talked about pursuing the gifts of God, right? Out of love, right? That it's that beautiful love chapter in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which sandwiches, like it's the meat and the sandwich of the, the conversation around spiritual gifts in 12 and 14. We pursue spiritual gifts because we love one another, right? And we want the gospel to go forward in each other's lives and in, in, in a dark and hurting world. And so we pursue, eagerly desire spiritual gifts because we want to exhort and build up one another. Because we love one another. Think about Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, live inside of you in a rich manner, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay? Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. There's not enough one another happening in church, by the way. There's a lot of, let's go and let's be fed. Let's go and let's, let's consume. Let's go and let some guy with a mic tell us some stuff. And then we'll see if like, it jives with us. And then we'll go out and we'll maybe obey it or we'll maybe forget it by the time we get to brunch. But admonish one another every day, as long as it's today so that we might not fall prey to the deceitfulness of sin and thus have our hearts hardened by hearing the word and not actually doing it. When you look at our text, you see that the Israelites were not able to enter the rest of God because of what? Because of unbelief. Um, Al Mohler in his commentary says this, the question the author asks in verses 16 through 18 underline a central theological issue the fatal error of unbelief. The Israelites committed many sins in the wilderness, okay? They committed many sins of idolatry and all sorts. But it says here, Moeller says, only one prevented their entry into the promise, the land of promise. The sin of unbelief was the thing that prevented them. Verse 19 powerfully demonstrates the need to persevere in faith. Without faith, we will not enter the promised land of God the faithless will not enter God's eschatological rest. The faithful hold firm until the end. There is this rest of God that he promises for his people. And the beautiful thing about the things of God is they are not outside of God. They are found in God. And so when you talk about rest, I don't want you just to talk about something that comes from God. Just like the power of God that we talked about a few weeks ago, I didn't want you to think about that as something outside of God. Right? The power of God is the person of God and the Holy Spirit who clothes us. Clothes, clothes us. Slow down, Kev. Clothes us in power so that we might be the church to the glory of his name. The rest of Christ comes through Christ Jesus himself. I think about Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. 
And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then we've got this beautiful command, this beautiful command of, of Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I feel like I just need, I need to like just speak that over some people's lives in this room here today. I'm tired of coming across Christians that are all bound up and stressed out because they're not good enough. You're not. <laughs> Let's just be clear. On my best day, your pastor deserves hell. But thanks be to God, he is rich in mercy because of his great love for me. He has lavished his love upon me. And it is by grace that I've been saved through faith, not of my works that I might not boast. Right? That is the power of the gospel of Jesus. That is what it means to enter into his rest right now in this place. You know, I... It, it, it hurts my heart so bad when people don't understand that portion of the gospel. And again, like Paul says in Romans, like where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So does that mean that we should just go on sinning and not care about our sin? Of course not. Certainly not. Of course not. Because if that was our mindset, we wouldn't truly understand the gospel. We probably truly wouldn't be saved. But we can count on it that when our sin does abound and when we do fall once again, that his Grace is lavished on us. And that his yoke actually is easy and his burden actually is light. That salvation comes by faith alone because we serve a merciful and gracious God. There's a rest that God has for you that starts right now today, the Sunday. This Sunday, the 16th of July. It comes by believing on him, the only thing required, that faith in him. Salvation has been won by and secured by and freely given to those who simply believe on Christ, who simply put faith in him, his perfect atoning work. And many of us, we end up being anxious and full of stress because we know we don't measure up the reality of Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God is full aware in our souls. But I want us to understand the love of God and the grace of God in Christ Jesus, that his mercy is so full, that his mercy and his grace covers our sin if we placed our faith and our very life in the hands of Christ. When we do, we are secure in him. But the enemy is a liar. <laughs> But the enemy is a liar. He's the one who's a liar from the very beginning, like it says in John chapter 8. He's the one who in Romans chapter, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 12 calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's going to continually remind you of your past and who you once were so that you live in despair, that you live in, in anguish, in turmoil, and not the rest that is promised of the people of God in Christ Jesus. Satan wants to steal the rest that is in Christ the joy of salvation that could never be earned. He wants you to doubt. And hear this. 
He wants you to not believe the real gospel. That is the work of the enemy. Because if we don't believe the real gospel, we won't experience the rest and joy that comes from Christ right now in this life. The book of Hebrews is full of warnings, like I said. Chapter 3 and 4 give us a good one right here. And I don't want you to be mistaken. As we look at what it takes to enter the rest of God, I want to be abundantly clear. We believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We believe wholeheartedly. I hope you've been getting that in some of the ways that I've been explaining the grace of God here these last few moments. The security of the believer is a beautiful thing that we hold fast to. That is the real gospel that incites a real joy and rest in this life. And it's not about performance or striving or earning. We don't earn his love. We don't earn his salvation. But it's that God who is rich in mercy. You see it in places like Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, where it says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will be faithful to complete it, to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is what? Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you. It is kept for you, not kept by you, but kept for you, who by God's power, whose power? God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And one of my favorite verses when we're talking about the security of the believer is John chapter 10 where we have the good, she- good shepherd speaking of his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Praise be to God. We have an enemy who is crafty. We have a God who is greater. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So we believe wholeheartedly in the security of the believer. You just think of that phrase, the security of what? The believer. The one who believes. The one who has faith. Right? The one thing that is required of us, the one thing that the Holy Spirit of God awakens in us is a belief in Christ Jesus. And that's why Hebrews 3 gives us a warning. It's not a warning that we would, I don't know, just be lost. But it's a warning against unbelief. It's a warning against Um, a lack of faith and trust in Jesus. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 for a moment. Here's the uh, the main part of the warning here. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you away from the living God. Okay, that's a pretty good warning. Be careful. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you away from the living God. Here's the remedy. Here's part of the remedy. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened 
by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 14, for we have come to share in Christ. We're in Christ. We are in him. We are secure in him if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. Then you jump down a little bit. In verse 18 it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his west? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. And then you jump into verse 4, or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. There's a warning in this. Israel failed to reach it. Why? Because of unbelief. And that unbelief, as we just read in Hebrews chapter 3, was evidenced by disobedience. It's simple. It's simple. Verse 2, it says uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Okay, did, did you get that? Uh, the Israelites back in the Old Testament also were hearers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like We don't think that way, right? All of Scripture screams the gospel. All of Scripture. It says in verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them. They got the gospel. They got it. And you might go, like, well, how? Like, gospels were written centuries later. One pastor that I came across this week, I forget who it was, pointed to a couple of different passages in the Scriptures. That screams of the gospel message. But one is, was at Mount Sinai in, in Exodus chapter 34. This is the second time the tablets after he smashed the first one. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. Verse 4. And he rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. This is when he's being given the law. This is the law. This is the old covenant. We don't think gospel when we think law. He took in his hands two tablets of stones. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is gospel right here, verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but, uh, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There's a picture of the gospel, this Lord, this God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That is our merciful God. So how do we enter his rest? Simply put, by believing. By faith. By faith. So, like, do you believe on Jesus Christ? Do you believe on him? Have, have you placed your faith in him? Have you placed your hope in him? Have you placed your trust in Christ Jesus and every word of Scripture? And there's a good indication, there's a good way to figure out if you actually believe, and that is if you actually obey. Because when you look at the Israelites, you see that the evidence of their unbelief was their disobedience. And this is the rub for us. 
This is the rub for us, us believers, us Christians in the room. Because a lot of times when we think of this, we're just thinking, well, yeah, of course I believe. Of course I have faith. Of course I place my faith in Christ Jesus. But like as we examine our lives, I, I think that there are places where I, I, I cry out just like the father or the son who, who was uh, possessed by a demon. He's like, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. If we dig into our lives a little bit more, we're going to see the areas of our lives where there is an unbelief that is happening. When I'm stressed out about certain situations or when I'm continually to, to fall into certain sins or believe the lies of the enemy, there's something about God and his word, God and his promises, God and his gospel that I'm not truly believing because my life is evidencing it through disobedience. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18 again, it says, And whom did he swear that would not enter his rest but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. I think about the wrestle and the struggle between hearing the word and doing the word. James chapter 1, right? Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. That verse smacks me between the eyes every time I read it. That I can deceive myself by just sitting in a church service and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again, but yet not carrying it through in obedience. If you go on in James chapter 2, you see in, verse eight, uh, in, in the book of James in chapter 2 and verse 18, it says, But some will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Just replace works with obedience, please. Right? A lot of times we think this do-goodism, right? You know, the, all my do-good, I go and, you know, I, I, I rent and I, and I, you know, I bless my neighbors with this care package and, like, they didn't know it was me and it was like, but, I, like, just replace works with, with obedience, wholehearted obedience. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Faith apart from obedience is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, his obedience, and faith was completed by his obedience. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So in our lives, like the struggle to obey is, is not just a struggle to do something. It's a struggle to believe something. There's a promise of God or, or a piece of his word that, 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 that only thing that is absolutely true and immovable, his word. We're struggling to behold it. We're struggling to hold fast to it. We're struggling to behold him as true. We have to acknowledge and, and call out our unbelief. That unbelief that's evidenced by a lack of obedience. And sometimes it's tricky because our disobedience is masked in certain things like fear. It's masked in a lack of strength. Oh, I just can't do it. I just, like, I just can't bring myself to do it. I'm too afraid. I'm too scared. 
but it's unbelief. It's rebellion towards God. And just a moment of confession with you guys here this morning. Like, this has been something that has been realized in my life over the last seven, eight months. Probably just before Christmas. Like, I had this moment where I was pressing into the presence of God. And I've told you a little bit about my journey, what God has been doing in me. But I started pressing into God more intently than I have in quite some time. And I started just like laying it all out in front of him, going, God, I want to be blessed of you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience the fullness of your presence in my life. God, if there's stuff in my life that is hindering me from walking with you more intimately, God, show me. And guess what? He started to show me. Don't you love that? And specifically, and and just full confession here, like specifically in the area of giving in my life. Giving of my finances, right? And and you guys all know that the financial struggles that we've had as a church over the last year. Like, and in your own home, you probably, between inflation and between whatever, the economy and all this stuff, you things are tight with you guys as well. Same thing with me. And not believing the promises of God. So tightening up and withholding a little bit and going, I don't know if I can give a true tithe or, or whatever the Lord is, in, is, is asking of me, whatever I've decided in my heart, I'm not sure if I'm bold enough and have enough faith to do that right now. And God goes, can you believe me? Can you just simply believe my word when it says in Psalm 37, I have been young and now I am old. I have, I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That we have a God who takes care of his children. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God will supply every one of your needs according to, the, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Think about Matthew 6 when he's talking about birds and flowers and how they have nothing to worry about. Because it's the Lord that provides all of their needs. And he looks at me and he goes, can you believe me? And your pastor was living in unbelief. And so I repent. And I go, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how we're going to pay bills. I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. But I know I can believe you. And it's about time my life starts to show up. It's about time my life starts to act like it. That's one example of what the Lord has been doing in me and and in repentance of unbelief. And he's been so good and so gracious and every bill is still paid and the Lord still is faithful. And on top of it, I've experienced his presence in more deep and beautiful ways than I have in years. Because I said, yeah, I can believe you. Yes, I can trust your word. And what I'm terrified of is in those little moments of my life where I'm not truly obeying, that I'm not truly believing, which is evidenced by my lack of obedience, that I'm building up a callus to the things of God that my heart is becoming hardened to the things of God. Not ultimately that, that, I'm, that I'm worried that I'm going to lose my salvation but, but, or anything like that because I'm secure in Christ Jesus, but I do not want to be callous to him or, his, or, or the things of him, what he, what he might want to do in my life. 
And so we need to identify the unbelief in our lives and call it out. Repent of it. Believe on him and cast your life upon his word. And so that, that's a word that we talk about. Like th- this whole idea of unbelief and belief, that's still the same Greek word as faith. Pistuo, right? It, it's all the same root word. So all what we're talking about is faith here. This is, this is the thing that's required of us as we come to God. And that, that the, the, the one word when we were in the book of John that I kept bringing out, the one, the one definition is like, because it's hard for us to understand what it means to believe. It's not just mental assent. And, and even using the word trust seems to fall short sometimes. But the phrase that keeps coming to mind, and it's something that I came across, some lexicon or some Bible dictionary, it says, uh, the, one of the definitions was to cast your life upon. that I just wholeheartedly just give it over to your word. I can trust your word 100%. Every drop of it is true, so I cast my life upon it. Where it says, do it, I do it. And then I, wor- I don't worry about the consequences. Instead of having that little, that little actuary in your brain, that, that risk assessor that goes, ah, but can you really, like, if I do that, here's the risk. If, if he doesn't come through, then I fall here, and it hurts there, and it's full of trouble there. No, 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 no. Promises promises, faithful God through and through. Where his word says it, I can believe it. So I cast my life upon it. So we got to call it out. So think about in your life this trickery of unbelief where the mouth and the heart are not aligned, where the heart and the life are not aligned. Think about Isaiah 29. Verse 13, and the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. See that, that lack of alignment with mouth, uh, lips, and their heart. Think about Jeremiah chapter uh, 17. Verse, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Ugh, even this man, even trusting in myself. It makes his flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord, he is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Gross. Verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Praise God. Who has faith in him. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit praise god the heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick who can understand it i the lord search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways Oh, according to the fruit of his deeds. That's obedience, everybody. There's a lot of times where I like to give myself the benefit of the doubt. Where I go, ah, oh, but I, you know, I was so, so well-intended. I don't really mean that. Oh, he's, I'm good-hearted. I love it when people talk about other people's hearts. I love it when people are like, oh, man, he's, dude, that guy's got such a good heart. No, he doesn't. I don't care if you're talking about me. It's deceitful. It is deceitful above all things. Who can discern it? 
I cannot measure your heart. I can measure your actions. You can't measure my heart. You can measure my actions. You can measure my ways, my obedience. Because a lot of times, we just love to gloss it all over in our minds and go, oh, but my heart, I'm just really not that bad. How come I fail to believe that is evidenced by doing? So, ask for discernment of your own heart to identify the unbelief in your life and call it out. Repent of it. Believe and cast your life upon his word and experience truly his promises. So, there's a rest and a peace in this life, of course, first and foremost, that is born out of this future hope of glory that we have. This future hope of rest that we have in him. Let's go with our text again, Hebrews chapter 4. Jump down to verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Thank you, Jesus. For whoever has entered God's rest, you can enter it now today by faith in Christ Jesus. Whoever has entered God's rest also rested from his work as God did from his. Levin says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Verse 11 drives me nuts because it seems like an oxymoron. It seems like it might be a contradiction, right? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Not strive to earn salvation. Again, be abundantly clear. Salvation was earned by Christ, won by Christ, conquered by Christ, secured by Christ. But we strive against, fight against, wage war against our unbelief that manifests itself in casual, often layered with really good excuses, disobedience. That's what we strive. That's what we fight against. We fight against that disbelief. We fight against that unbelief that manifests itself in disobedience. In a few weeks, we're going to look at, actually probably a few months, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. You guys know this verse, verse 6. And without faith, without belief, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God, there's one of the six. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he does what? He rewards those who seek him. Earnest and eager, we seek the Lord. And we seek to obey him. A life that enters the rest of Christ. A life that is full of faith and obedience. Not just hearers of the word and deceiving ourselves. But doers of the word. Fully obedient. Experiencing the full rest. The full joy of salvation in Christ. I'm going to invite the band up. Go to a time of worship here in just a few moments. My question for you this morning is, where are you struggling to believe God? Maybe there are some of you in this room today that, that you've never placed your faith in Christ. Like, you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian. Today's your day, just so you know. And there's no magic words that some pastor up front with a mic is going to say for you. It's you just in your seat, confessing Christ, saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I've been trying to do this on my own. I've been trying to do it in my own strength and in my own way. Christ, I need you. I place my faith in you. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I cast my life upon you today. By faith, you receive salvation. Place your faith in Christ Jesus today.
And I know there's a lot of believers in this room, and there's a lot of good friends in this room. And in my, my question for us today, just like the question I've been asking myself now for months, is where am I struggling to believe my God? Where is my life and my words not in alignment? Where is my heart and my life not in alignment? Where have I deceived myself and gone, you know what? I can play it kind of loose over here with my obedience because nobody really knows. Nobody really knows this part of me. Where is it that you might be struggling to obey your God? Where is that unbelief? Call that out. Call that out. Between you and the Holy Spirit today, call that out and repent of it. And then do it. Repentance will come when you actually do it. That's that one turn. It's not just, God, I'm sorry. Like, repentance is not just, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. It is, God, I'm sorry, now I do it. Now I obey. That's what repentance is all about. And so today, let's do that. Where are those places in your life where you're struggling to trust him completely? Is it in provision? Is it with your family? Is it with your kids? It's a big one for me. There's a soft spot in my heart to trust my God with my kids completely. Is it in your relationships? Maybe it's in some addictions that you found yourself in. Maybe there's some self-medicating going on in your life and you know it's not right. Maybe there's repentance that needs to be had in it today. And as we go from this place, I would continue to encourage you to read his word diligently. Take in the promises of God. Take in his truth, right? The world is full of lies, and we are inundated with it daily. Social media, media, doesn't matter what it is, lies constantly coming at us, telling us what to believe, what is right, what is true, lies about sexuality, and like whatever it is, it's all coming at us nonstop. Put it down. Immerse yourself in the word, in the promises, in the truth of God. Not because when we read his word, it earns us salvation, like it's something that good Christians do, but because we want to know and love the one who knows us and loves us more than we could ever comprehend. That's why we read the word. Because we want to know and love the one who knows and loves us more than we could ever comprehend. We trust him. We believe on him. We press into him. And so God, today we cast our lives upon you. Please stand with me. I'm going to pray, and then we'll worship Jesus again. We thank you and praise you for your word, for your spirit alive in us. God, be glorified, I pray. In our lives where there needs to be repentance, God, work in us. God, if there's confession that needs to happen in this room today, maybe it's to a brother, maybe it's to a sister, maybe it's to a husband or a wife, God, let there be deep confession and repentance today. Help us to believe on you let these lives obey. Let these lives live as beautiful, obedient worship to you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.